Hello and welcome back to That Oxford Girl podcast. I'm Poddy Wilson and I'm the host of this podcast where each week I invite on a current Oxford student to discuss their time at the university. This episode is a little different from our usual in that my guest this week is not a That Oxford Girl ambassador, but is someone that you may well recognise from her incredible output on Instagram and TikTok as at science for my mum. Ariane Herbert is a science communicator and student at St John's College on an interdisciplinary biosciences DTP comprising of marine biology, oceanography and climate science. She is a fantastic ambassador for research-based programmes and she has some really, really great insights into the life and challenges of being a postgraduate student. So I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'd like to begin, if you would, with how you decided to apply to Oxford, because you did an integrated master's before that. And even before that, you had chosen subjects at school which weren't necessarily aligned with what you ended up doing. So what was the sequence of events there? Yeah, so I did a a four year integrated master's at Warwick, as you said. And around the start of my third year, I started to get really heavily involved in research. so I, I always loved lab work. Um, and in my first year, I did I did quite a lot of that. But then COVID happened about midway through my first year. So then I had a couple of years where I was not able to do that really hands-on science that had drawn me to the field in the first place. Um, so as soon as I went back for my third year, I essentially approached a PI in my department and I, I said, please, can I come and work in your lab? And he was very, very obliging and would then become my bachelor's and my master's supervisor. Um, And so that was kind of how I really fell in love with research and decided that that was what I wanted to carry on doing. So um, a PhD was a really kind of logical next step for me. Um, And it had been something I'd set my mind on for a while. And I was looking around, I was looking in different countries as well. So um, I was not just set on the UK. but I do think the UK comes with a lot of benefits in terms of, of the flexibility you get. And we have some really great programs here. Um, so I had intended to actually take a year out before uh, starting my PhD because I hadn't taken a year out at any point in my career that far. Um, and this was the only program that I applied for. And I did get it, which made that decision for me. Um, and I was very, very happy about and so I ended up here um, and it's it's a great program. That's what really attracted me because it comes with a, a lot of flexibility. Um, you did not need a project or a supervisor before applying, which is fairly unique uh, in terms of lots of PhDs will be kind of direct entry onto a project, whereas this and there are a number of similar programs around the country um, allowed you to kind of apply with a motivation and with an inspiration, but without necessarily having already planned out the next four years. So yeah, that's how I ended up here. So when you're applying for a DPhil, the admissions process is obviously going to be very different from if you're applying for a master's or an undergrad. So what kind of things can you expect if you're someone who's thinking about applying for a DPhil, which is Oxford Speak for PhD? Yes, exactly. Oxford Speak. Um, the application for the DPhil was actually surprisingly straightforward um and that's not to say it's easy because you obviously need to have uh quite a lot of motivation and quite a lot of uh reason for wanting to do it but in terms of the actual application it was uh, an online form so you had to write um 
basically a motivation statement in your own words, in your own format, which was nice and kind of different from some of the others that I'd looked at where they wanted really specific answers to questions. Oxford gave you a lot more flexibility with what you told them about yourself, um, which I really liked. And you had to tell them sort of things about your experience and uh, what, what best placed you to be doing what you were doing. Um, and also why you had chosen uh, this interdisciplinary program, because they're, they're very big on on this idea of interdisciplinarity. Um, and that's definitely something that I felt, especially since being here, they really, really do give you the benefit of that, which is nice. Um, so I did the application. Uh, the, the personal statement was the biggest part. But in some ways, once you've got to the point of making the application, you pretty much know what goes in there because they really just want to see kind of your uniqueness, what drives you, what motivates you, even if that doesn't end up being the thing that you do your DPhil on. Um, they just want to see that you have some sort of passion and 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 drive to do what you're doing. So there was that. And then I think a couple of months passed and I got an invitation to interview. I don't know if that would have been in person pre-COVID, but for me it was online, um, which I found actually a bit more daunting. I think I would have liked to go in person and just kind of chat to somebody in the department, but uh, it was online. There was a panel uh, of a couple of different people who had been drawn from areas that were aligned with things that I had written about in my personal statement, uh, motivation statement. And I had to give a five minute presentation, which is really difficult because that's not very much time at all. Mm. Um, but a five minute presentation on research that I had already done on a project that I'd completed and then I actually really really enjoyed the interview process it was it was a very relaxed conversation and they quizzed me a bit on the science and on my approach to my question and how I would do it differently and what went wrong and that sort of stuff and then it was much more personal and personal science which which was kind of questions like when was a time that you could have given up but you didn't um and wow. actually questions that made me think a lot about why I was doing science so I, I really enjoyed it actually um and it was it was one of those interviews where you get to the end and you're like oh that that was it uh and you kind of panic did I get everything that I wanted to across but, but yeah it was really nice they made you feel really at ease um and then yeah that was I think it was 25 minutes interview and then a couple of weeks later got the offer so it, I think wow. it's a pretty low stress application process for I was expecting it to be to be more stressful I think yeah yeah just going back to the uh statement you had to send over could you give any kind of advice on how to approach an interdisciplinary admissions process because I think that's something that's maybe more specific and you're having to spin more plates at once how did you tailor it if you can remember any examples yeah. to this specific kind of application yeah, no, that's a good question because since being here, there's 38 people in my cohort and we've all become really good friends and we've all spoken quite at length about how we got here and, and what sort of stuff we, you know, we wrote in our personal statements, basically. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be a big divide, actually, uh, of people who really focused on one thing and people who really went general with their statement. And it doesn't necessarily appear that one of those is better than the other, because obviously we're all here. Um, yeah. I don't know what it would look like of the cross of all the applicants. Um, so I think you can kind of go one of two ways. You can either, if you have a specific interest, that's totally fine, even though it is 
it is interdisciplinary and you will get the opportunity to rotate around different labs. If you have an area of interest, um, then they want to see that. They want to see your passion. They want to see your drive. They want to see what makes you, you and why you're a good fit um, because, you know, they've got your grades. They've got all of that stuff. They're not really yeah. interested in this. That everybody's going to say you don't need to cover any basis like that. You really need to kind of get into the nitty gritty of, of why you're doing that. Um, and then I think the other approach was people who who went quite broadly uh, talking about their numerous interests and maybe how they link together. And you do need to show some sort of appreciation, I think, for this this program of uh, interdisciplinarity and mm -hmm. and show that you understand how crucial that is for science in the 21st century, which is mm. it's a really interesting field, I think. It's one of those things that maybe when you're in it and you're working in it, it feels quite obvious because, of course, I'm a biologist, but I'm going to need maths and stats and chemistry and, you know, physics and all of these things. Um, but I think it's just making sure that you really show to them that you understand why this is important and you kind of have that experience yourself of of working in those environments, if possible. Mm. Yeah. And just to go to the interviews as well, this may be pushing it with the question a bit, but I think a lot of students maybe worry across all, all types of degrees and programs about having these broad questions in the interviews when they say, you know, why do you want to do this? The personal questions, as you say, kind of when's the time you, you may have given up, but you, you persevered. I wonder if you have any advice for tackling those kinds of questions. Yeah. Yeah. I think those questions are really hard because you can prepare and you can write down your answers, but at the end of the day, it's, it's what comes out in the moment. Um, I think I was I was a bit stumped by that question, actually. And I think I ended up kind of laughing a bit and saying I could give up every single day, like every single day happens that I could just turn around and walk away. Um, but I don't. And I think I went on to talk to them about less less when is a time that you could have given up, but more what is that thing that just absolutely unfalteringly keeps you going every single mm. day? Um, because I think for research in any field uh, like science humanities social sciences doesn't matter for for research it's so self-driven and you have to have that motivation within you and I think that's something that they're really looking for um, so I think with these with these questions especially when they're super broad like that you can you can do that the tricks that everybody does of you know have a list of things that you make sure that you need to kind of name drop in like oh well I've got this experience or I've got this you know you need to show them the special things about you but I think what they really want to see is that you have the right personality for mm. research. Um, and hopefully if you've got to the point of doing the interview, then you'll have that within yourself because otherwise you wouldn't have applied. Um, and everybody's got a story, right? Everybody's got a reason for doing it. So you need to show them your reason. Um, and I think that's much more important than trying to prove yourself because once you've got to that stage, I think this is something that we all forget when we get to an interview because it's so daunting it's once you've got to that stage they're giving you the chance they're giving you the platform so it's like they are looking for you to succeed and they're looking for you to just prove to them why you're the right person mm -hmm. if that makes Perfect. sense yeah definitely um so you got an offer in fact you didn't just get one offer from a college you applied to you ended up getting two which is a bit confusing and surprising could you tell me about how that played out it was very confusing and it was definitely showed my uh lack of knowledge about Oxford I think well everybody knows Oxford is a very very specific place and I had had no experience of this previously um and 
so when when I applied, they asked me to nominate a college, uh, and I did. They had recommended a few, which I think is maybe common across undergrad and postgrad that they recommend a, a few colleges, maybe that that offer your subject or that have specific links. Uh, so they'd recommended a few, and one of them was University College, and University College has a squash court in the basement. So I applied there. <laughs> and I know your fellow was... squash player. Very <laughs> oh, exciting. <yes. laughs> uh, so that was that was pretty much uh, my choosing process and also other things like it's a beautiful college it's old it's got lots of history I really liked that um and I got my offer from UNIV and I was very very happy um and then I got an email from St John's and I when it came through I thought oh no I've got either it's a spam email or I, I just kind of thought oh no sorry you've you've sent this email to the wrong person uh and it turned out that it was, again, one of these strange Oxford things where I had got a scholarship that I hadn't applied for. I wasn't aware that I'd been put forward for. So I went back to my course director and I said, I've got this email from John's. I don't know what to do with it. And she said, yeah, we put you forward for this. We don't tell people when we put them forwards because obviously it's the college's choice. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a bit tricky the explanation of the funding because it comes from multiple different places but basically when you get your place on the course you get guaranteed funding um but what this was meaning for me was not that i was getting it any uh you don't really get extra money but it just changes the place where that money comes from so basically john's was saying if you come to us then we will pay your living costs which is really really nice um but that was very confusing for me and I did need a couple of people to hold my hand through that. Um, but yeah, now I'm at John's and I'm very, very happy here. It's a absolutely lovely college. It's super friendly, um, which lots of people said to me before I came here uh, and it's definitely lived up to that reputation. So we've spoken a bit about the college. I'd now like to move on to the actual course itself because it, it, it seems a bit of this enormous yeah. mystical thing almost. Um, but we, as, when we were talking before, you said that it's it's very sort of clearly structured. So I wonder if you could explain what that structure is. Yes, of course. If you go for the kind of direct entry DTP, which stands for Doctoral Training Partnership, um, then what your first year will look like is um, three months in the doctoral training center, uh, which was super fun. And also one of the reasons why I chose this course, because you have a cohort, I think, yeah, there was 38 of us and you spend every single day together from nine to five for three months, which means that for anybody who's moving to a new place, which is most of us, including myself, that you have that kind of inbuilt support network, which I really, really appreciated. Um, and for the next four years as well, then you've got those people who are going to be hitting all the same deadlines at all the same times as you, which is nice. Anyway, you have those three months. And in those three months, you learn things like maths, stats, programming, bioinformatics, uh, all the sort of stuff that you might need to just get set up in your lab. Although they do expect that if you have any specific things that you'll need for your DPhil, then you'll get trained on that um, more throughout your project. But it just puts you in a good standing to be able to do kind of whatever you want to do. Um, and then at the end of those three months, it's Christmas. And then we came back after Christmas, we had a life skills course for a week, which was, uh, interesting. Um, good fun though. And nice to get everybody back together before you all go off for your first rotations. So the first six months of, from January in your first year, 
you will undertake two rotations. So they're three months long each. Um, and they're typically done in two different departments because we are interdisciplinary um, DTP. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got people in obviously biology, biochemistry. We've got uh, I'm in earth sciences. There's people in maths, physics all over the place, which is really nice. And you have so much flexibility with that. And they really give you a lot of support in terms of finding a supervisor for that, finding a project. Uh, the whole thing seems like really nicely supported. Um, and then once you've done that, you're kind of good to go in terms of you've got the next three years to three and a bit years to do your DPhil. Um, but the one last thing that you do is uh, some form of internship. Um, so that can be anything, but it just can't be research in terms of like lab research. So it can't be something that you would really be doing in your DPhil. Uh, so some people might go into government policy things overseas um you know you can really actually do anything you want for that um, and you have the funding so that's really nice because if there's something that you want to pursue you can approach a an organization and say i come with money um and can i work with you for three months and i think that's really nice because it gives you the flexibility to really go and get the opportunities that you might like and you might not otherwise be able to do other than that you get sort of training ongoing through the four years so you can dip in and out of lots and lots of different modules which is really nice because uh it means that if there's anything you might need like i need a specific skill or i need to brush up on something or other then you can always go back to the doctoral training center and you can look at what modules and courses they might be able to provide for you um there so yeah it's it's a really nice place to be it looks after you really well so for the actual defil qualification you have to submit a a thesis eventually when do you start thinking about that yeah so i think this is another nice thing about oxford that is not super common at other unis in the uk at least is that you have a couple of deadlines that you need to hit so you have your transfer of status and then your confirmation of status um so your transfer of status happens on a variable time scale but somewhere towards the end of the second year which is actually the end of your first year of your project uh, because you spent the first year in the, in the DTC mainly um, and that I mean I haven't done it yet so I can't speak super authoritatively on it but that basically just checks that you are going in the right direction you've got a solid plan you've got all the support that you need your methods look good you're you're kind of you're making your, your progress as you should be um and then i think about a year before you finish then you do your confirmation of status and that basically confirms you as a doctoral candidate um and basically says you have got a significant amount of what you need under your belt and you're going to be on track to finish by your deadline and everything is as it should be perfect well i'd like to move on to an adjoined topic but one which is slightly different which is your science communication um, you have a, a bit of a presence online um, and you've been putting out reels and information about your work in research. So I wonder if you could tell me how that started and what the, the aims are of your work online. Yeah, so I always kind of love science communication. I think it's really, really important. I think that that kind of communicating with the public, what we do is important because it kind of it demystifies science. Science should be something that's accessible to everybody because science is the understanding of the way that our world works, right? So mm-hmm. we're all citizens of the world. We should all have access to an understanding of the way that it works. And I think that's the responsibility of us as people who dedicate our lives to science to do that. Um, but the way that it came about was during my third year of um, uni, 
as I said, I had joined this lab, um, which I was really, really enjoying working in. And I wanted to carry on my research over the summer between my third and fourth years. And so I um, procured some funding for that, uh, for my lab work. But one of the prerequisites of this funding was that alongside my research, I carry out some form of science communication or public engagement activity. Um, and I, I sort of sat down to brainstorm what that could be. And I've always loved documenting things and, you know, making things accessible through uh, kind of visual and, and audio. So I decided to create uh, an Instagram and a TikTok account because that is where my target audience is, right? That is where the, the younger and our generation is. And so I thought that would be kind of a good way to start branching out um, into that. And I called it Science for My Mum because the initial uh, idea behind it was that I would basically vlog my days in the life as if, or actually for my mum, because she is my biggest supporter. She loves to see what I'm getting up to in the lab and, and she really, really enjoyed that. So as I was going up through my undergrad and my master's, I was kind of taking her and what ended up being quite a few people on the internet along that journey with me. Um, and it was just really nice. I think that's one of the nice things about social media is you get this instant sort of feedback and engagement. And it was really nice to see what people wanted to see and what people were excited by. Um, and it definitely helped me to be excited by what I was doing as well. Um, there's nothing so rewarding as kind of, you know, somebody engaging with with what you're doing. Um, and that's kind of grown now. The science for my mum is just my mum as a non-expert in what I do equating to science for anybody and everybody uh, who is mm. from any background. I have been sort of branching out into other things. I do some video reporting for The New Scientist, which is really, really exciting because growing up, I used to read The New Scientist as kind of like the pinnacle of of exciting science and, and that. And now... I am kind of part of that. So that was a bit of a pinch me if my younger self could see me now moment. Yeah, I bet. And yeah, I, I do bits of other things uh, with, the, with the department and sort of volunteering as well. Um, but yeah, I like to keep science communication really kind of high in my list of priorities because I do think it's a duty that we have. And also it's just something that brings me so much pleasure. Mm. And if someone were to say to you that they want to begin a similar endeavor to the one you've done in science communication what would be the advice you'd give them I think my advice would just be to put out something honest and raw because that's what people want to see um, and that's mm. what really engages people I think just put out what you firstly what you want to put out and secondly what you would have liked to see uh, I think yeah. that was how I put myself in that frame of mind when I was starting out is what would I have liked to see when I was an undergrad when I was in my high school or sixth form when I was a GCSE student you know what would have really excited me and kind of motivated me and that was how I framed uh what I was doing so I would just say yeah make sure you're enjoying it um and just put out something that you would have liked to see brilliant well thank you very much for speaking to me oh thank you thank you My thanks again to Ariane Wen for speaking to me. If you enjoyed this episode, then make sure to subscribe to the podcast and tap the bell to be notified when the next episode goes live.
Also, be sure to check out the blog, badoxfordgirl.com, where new articles are uploaded weekly on a whole range of things, including applications, life at Oxford, what to put on your personal statement. There are tons of fantastic tips to be found on the website. Thank you again for listening. See you next week.